You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In this episode, Lance shares about the importance of standing on the finished work of the Lord Jesus. He reads from several passages where the command is, Arise. The latter portion of this message is missing, but considering the themes that are included, it is still a worthy listen. This lovely sunshine, sunshine is a bit too warm. You want to move over to where there isn't any sunshine. Do feel free to do so. <clears throat> Not anyone <clears throat> passing out. Shall we just bow together in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank Thee for our time together in Thy presence. We praise Thee, Lord for what it means to us just to be able to come in this free way to Thee. And we thank Thee, Father, that Thou art able to meet with us too. We thank Thee for already, Lord, Thy word to us. And now, Lord, we pray that as we turn to Thy word, Thou will make it live. Thou alone knowest, Lord, all the different situations that are represented here in this company of Thy people. Many problems we face, mountains that have got to be traversed or removed. But Lord, we praise Thee that Thou art able, since Thou knowest our situation, each one, all together, to apply Thy word to every one of our hearts. And this we ask, Lord, in faith, taking for both speaker and hearer alike that anointing which rests upon our Lord Jesus Christ and is made available to us through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, together we by faith come under his anointing and look to thee to meet with us in thy word. For his name's sake. Amen. Just recently, the Lord has been speaking to us about arising. And um, we haven't a lot of time But uh, into my heart, there came four occasions, I've no doubt there are others, when the Lord has said to his people, arise, or to one of his people, arise. And I just want us to look at that. Forgive this very brief introduction, plunging straight in. Most of you know what uh, the Lord has been saying to us over these past weeks, the end of the last year and the beginning of this. And so you will understand. But even if you don't, Um, The fact uh, is that the word stands on its own. First of all, if you will turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. And verse 16. But arise and stand upon thy feet. For to this end have I appeared unto thee to appoint thee a minister and a witness both of the things wherein thou hast seen me and of the things wherein I will appear unto thee. Arise, stand upon thy feet. That's where I want to begin. It's where the law began with me anyway. Arise, stand on thy feet. You will, of course, know the story. It was the testimony of the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. And he was saying how on the way to Damascus, suddenly there was a vision 
from heaven, a light above the brightness of the sun. And the Apostle Paul was flung to the ground and blinded. Then immediately this voice said to him, Arise, stand. And that's exactly what God does for every sinner saved by his grace. The very first thing God does to us is to say, get up, stand, stand. Now there's such a lot in this matter of standing. After all, the Lord had no need to say it. Uh, the Apostle Paul had already said, um, who art thou, Lord, and so on. The, the Lord could have left him on his knees. A, a, a perfectly good posture, a reverent posture. But instead the Lord said to, to Saul, arise, stand. And this is symbolic of something which every single one of us has got to learn. We've got to learn what it is to stand on the rock. We've got to learn what it is to stand with a sure and certain foundation under our feet. We've got to learn what it is not to be moved from that foundation, however marvelous the vision might be or anything else, the influences or pressures that come, we must learn never to move off the foundation that God has given us. For there is only one foundation given to us by God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in John chapter uh, 14, uh, 15, 16, the Lord Jesus was at such great pains to emphasize and underline this lesson above every other. He summed it up in the words, abide in me and I in you. Stand. Stand. It's not only a question of salvation. It is a question too, which some of us have bitterly learned, of service. Woe betide us if we start talking about moving forward, walking, possessing, unless first we have learned what it is to stand in the Lord. And having done all to stand. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase in Ephesians 6? And having done all to stand. It's a paradox. You can't press toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus till you know what it is to be standing. Two, these two things happen together. You must know first spiritually what it is to stand. And then you can walk. You will notice here that almost immediately the Lord Jesus um, reveals to the Apostle Paul, at that time he was not an apostle in one sense, he was Saul, the saved sinner. He says, Arise, stand upon thy feet, for to this end have I appeared unto thee to appoint thee a minister and a witness both of the things wherein thou seest me and the things wherein I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send thee. So the first thing is to stand. And there's so much in the word of God about standing. 
Um, we, of course, I've already just referred to Ephesians chapter 6. If you just look at it again, we don't always think of this as the beautiful garments of our salvation. But in fact, that's really what it is. In Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your feet shod uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, with all taking up the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Stand, arise, stand. Now it doesn't matter how young you are in the law. The first thing God says to you is stand. Don't grovel. Stand. God has given you the unspeakable privilege of being one of his sons and one of his daughters. There is a place to humble ourselves before God, before his might, before his authority, before his power. But remember that we have boldness not arrogance, but boldness to enter his presence. Why? Through faith. Not because we're anything at all in ourselves. We're very conscious of being quite the opposite, but because we have been clothed with the garments of salvation. If you turn to Isaiah and chapter 61, we find out that this whole matter of covering is quite important. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. How wonderful that is. God done that for you clothed with the garments of his salvation, covered with the robe of his righteousness. The robe of righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? It reminds me, of course, of the story in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 11. You remember the story? Matthew chapter 22 and verse 11. It was the story of the Lord Jesus told of a king who had a great wedding supper, breakfast if you like, and uh, everyone was invited. Now it was the custom in those days for very wealthy people to, to provide everyone with a wedding garment. That was a very beautiful garment that went over everything else they had on. 
So as you came to the door and your feet were washed and you were bidden to help, to, to, to enter, you were welcomed, then the servant would come forward with this wedding garment and would help you put it on. And so you went in to the wedding breakfast wearing a garment that your host had provided. And someone had got into this wedding feast who felt that their garments were quite good enough. And so in verse 11 it says, But when the king came in to behold the guests, he saw there a man who had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. There shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. A wedding garment. Have you got the king's wedding garment on this morning? You've got on the garment of salvation, the robe of his righteousness. I think again of Luke chapter 15. A very well-known parable of the prodigal son. And then... In verse 22, the father said to his sons, bring forth quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Do you think that God has given you a poor garment of salvation? Do you think there's any difference between the garments of salvation that we all wear? Do you think that the apostle Paul has a better garment than yours? No, not at all. It's the best. The father has said, bring the very best and put it on every one of them. The very best and put it on every one of them. There's no distinction here. It is the garment of my son, the righteousness of my son, given to every single sinner who repents and turns toward me through Christ. Well, I thought that was rather wonderful. Arise, stand. And isn't it true that it's not just a question of when we're young in the law, of knowing what it is to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, to know what it is to have access to God day and night at all times. It's much more than that. I said a little while ago that some of us have learned bitterly from experience that the more we know of the service of God and the work of God, the more we need to understand what covering means. The name of the Lord. It is interesting in Psalm uh, 20 that the psalmist uh, puts it like this. And he's talking of a very great battle. And he says, the Lord answer thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob set thee up on high. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. The name of the Lord. Then he says in verse 5, we will triumph in thy salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. This is the same thing. Arise, stand. Arise, stand. Or again in verse uh, <coughs> 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will make mention of the name of the Lord our God. As if just the mention of the name of the Lord our God means victory. And it does. It does. You remember that? Of course, it doesn't just mean that you can use the name of Jesus like a charm. You can't do that. We've got to be true to the name. It's got to be real of us that we are in him and abiding in him. When we're doing that, then 
we make mention of the name of the Lord our God and it speaks victory. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Stand. Get up. Don't just sort of grovel there looking at all the dust and the muck around you, looking in all the time. Arise, stand on your feet. You have a foundation under your feet now. You have a rock. And if you'll only stand up, God will put into your mouth a song of praise. Many shall see it and shall turn to the Lord. We Christians have got an unfortunate name that we are of all people the most miserable. And unfortunately, looking at some of the sad faces uh, that we so often see, we have to say that it's true. Now, this is simply because we Christians are realists. We're not idealists, we are realists. We have faced the fact of sin. We have faced, as far as we are able, the facts of life. We have faced the fact of eternity. And therefore, we have a deep-seated feeling, if we're honest people, that we don't want to be hypocrites. Certainly, we don't want to be those people that are always slapping one another on the back and saying, praise the Lord. And it's all absolutely awful. It's just a trite little phrase and doesn't mean anything. And the devil himself laughs as he watches. But let's get clear on this. If any person in faith will just shake the dust off themselves and stand up, God will put into their mouth a song of praise. For then you will suddenly see that a wretch like you and a worm like me <laughs> have been wonderfully saved by the grace of God. And isn't that a cause for thanksgiving? Sometimes I look at you and think, oh, what a wretch. And you look at me and think, oh, what a worm. But if only I'd say, oh, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We'd be filled with thanksgiving. When we see what God has done for us, arise, stand, stand, stand in the Lord. And I want you to turn back to Isaiah 61, and you will see in verse 3 that this is what the Lord says. He says that the Spirit of the Lord God was upon Christ, verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a garland for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Oh, this spirit of heaviness. The devil is the best salesman for the spirit of heaviness. He, his, his technique never fails unless you know what to do to stand in the law. Just let him get you to come out and fight him. He edges you out by taunting you, teasing you, trying to get you uncovered so that you will come out, so that you'll start to look in. I wish we could spend this whole morning talking about covering, uh, what it means and what uncovering is. You see, many people don't understand quite what we mean by the phrase. What does it mean to be uncovered? You can get uncovered, you know, by just looking in and thinking, oh, dear, oh, I'll never make it. And that moment you uncover. The breastplate of righteousness has gone. His righteousness has gone. Your unworthiness and sin has come back. And the enemy fires his fiery dart 
and it's gone in. Just like that. That's what it means to be uncovered. Sometimes we can talk about one another in a wrong way, and it's heard. Gossip, backbiting, all those things. The best way to uncover yourself. And then you can't understand why you're so heavy, and so you blame it on all the others. And it's your own tongue. Sometimes we have a collision with somebody, and we say things we ought never to have said, and we're uncovered. Sometimes there's something wrong in our lives and it's not been repented of. And no matter what we say, we're uncovered until that thing is repented of and put right. Never forget that. People always say, oh, but the Lord is so gracious. Of course he's gracious, but the Lord is truth. He will have no part to anything that's a lie. So if a lie creeps in, even unwittingly, it's got to be repented of before the Lord and put away or that thing is uncovering. The enemy's got his foothold. Garment of praise. Garment of salvation. Garment of praise. Of course the two are synonymous. If you really know your great salvation, you'll just praise the Lord. And you know, some people say to me, I feel so unworthy, I can't praise the Lord. I call that rubbish. I do really, and I mean it. I think it's a lot of hogwash. Why? For this simple reason, that the more unworthy you feel if you're a true child of God, the more you'll praise the Lord. These people who say that they're unworthy, they don't mean that at all. It's a cover-up. They've never seen their unworthy. They think they're something. That's all. And because they're trying to make themselves something, they feel bad all the time, as if there's some kind of veto on them. And there is. God says, you're trying to gloss up the dear old man. But I've crucified him. Nothing to do with it. So if you want to dress him up and make him a good little Christian and so on, carry on. But you'll have this awful feeling in the background all the time. You see? And even when you've praised the Lord, afterwards you'll think, I wonder what they thought about that. Oh, what a, a carry-on. Really, when you think of it, as if the Lord could even be satisfied with such a thing. Of course not. But if you really know your unworthiness, can you but not open your mouth and say to the Lord, Oh God, who could have saved a person like me? It's amazing. Stand. If you turn back to um, uh, Isaiah 52, here we've got it. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion, put on thy beautiful garments. You see, the Lord equates beautiful garments with strength, being strong in the Lord. Beautiful garments with strength. And then you will see, if you look back to the previous chapter, that in verse 9 it says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O arm of the Lord. And then in verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem. Here we are. It's a question of standing up. The, then chapter 52, verse 1, Put on thy beautiful garments. Put them on. Stand up. Put them on. Well, look, our time's almost gone, and that was only just one. Then I thought of that other one that we've all been thinking about in Genesis 13. And... Um, 
verse 17, Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it and the breadth of it, for unto thee will I give it. Oh, that we knew something of that. Having once got clear what it is to stand in the Lord, now we can hear the Lord's word, I send thee. I send thee. Go out, walk. What does it mean? It means if walking is anything, it's a progress, isn't it? I've never yet seen a person walking who's not been progressing. They may be walking in the wrong direction, but they're progressing. Because walking is that manipulation of the legs by which we put one step before the other and carry ourselves bodily forward. We move when we walk. And so once we've learned what it is to, to stand in Christ, to be clothed in the garments of salvation and of praise, of what it is to put on the whole armor of God, and having done all to stand, the next thing we learn is to go forward and possess. Then we can possess the land, walk through the length of it, the breadth of it, unto thee will I give it. Oh, how wonderful is our salvation. Some Christians speak all the time of just standing, standing, standing. And others speak all the time of possessing, possessing, possessing. The two things go together. What good standing if you don't possess? And what good possessing if you can't stand? If you're knocked out? If you're deflected and diverted? Not any good at all. The enemy gets us both ways. But oh, that we might be a people who know what it is to stand in Christ and to walk in Christ. To go forward and possess. You remember, I, I, I think I've said this before, I, I used to wonder when I was first saved and when we first began to read the Bible, I had so many questions, they used to always call me Jack Wantonow. Um, because the others who had been brought up to the Bible from childhood never asked a question, or so it seemed to me, because they, they were so used to it. I couldn't understand the Lord. It was the queerest thing in the whole world when I read in Numbers 13 that he sent those spies through the land. I thought, well, I can't understand it. He's already said he's going to give it all. What is, what's all this palaver for? Sending these people all through the land and, and almost tripping up ten of them. Why give them the opportunity to be tripped up? Why send them at all? If the Lord was going to send the angel of his presence before them and give them the land, why send them all the way when, ah, oh, but it's a principle. I've only learnt it more recently in recent years. But I could never understand it. I used to think quite irreverently if I was the Lord, I wouldn't have sent them. Still, I thought it's in the word. <laughs> and therefore it must be right. And that was my salvation. <laughs> I did. I used to think it's in the word. It must be right. Uh, uh, and so on. But the fact of the matter is this. Now I see. You see, the Lord says you've got to see what you're going to possess. You must see it with your own eyes. And you must see it with the eyes of faith. Eyes that have been enlightened. Illuminated. Revelation's been granted to you. To see what is yours in Christ. Then there's the spirit of faith which says, Yes! In spite of these fortified cities, in spite of these armies, in spite of our weakness, because the Lord has said this belongs to us, it's ours. And it will be. The angel of the Lord's presence does the work. We do 
the walking. Have you ever heard of a battle being won by the soles of people's feet? But that's exactly what they did. They put their soles of their feet through the river Jordan and onto the riverbed. And that moment, the waters parted. It was the soles of their feet that did it. They went round Jericho seven days. Once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. It was the soles of their feet that did it. They never shot a bullet. <laughs> never fired an arrow. Not even a javelin. I have absolutely no doubt that if there were a few javelins amongst them, Joshua turned round and said, put that down. If anyone thought to shake it at them, say, you just wait. <laughs> you put that down. This is a battle that the angel of the Lord is winning. Our job is walking. Using the soles of our feet. What a tragedy if, they've, if they'd stood. They would have got just the postage stamp that they stood on. Because the Lord is always faithful to his word. But they walked. And it is so interesting that they only got what they walked on. They came to some places and they said, there are chariots of iron here, we can't do it. And the Lord said, oh, look, all right, all right. If you say you can't do it, nor will I. They came to Jerusalem and they said, the Jebusites are here, a stronghold. So the Lord said, very well. If you don't do it, I don't do it. It waited 400 years for David to come and put the soles of his feet, as it were, down and the Jebusite stronghold for it to become Jerusalem. How true it is that the biggest battles in our lives over what we possess is often the most precious possession in the end of all. How the enemy knows it. He'll put chariots of iron all round and make it a stronghold of strongholds when he knows that there's something in your life upon which nearly everything hinges. Walk, oh, that we would go in and possess what is ours, the fullness of Christ, the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit, life more abundant, all the graces and gifts that are ours through him and in him. It's all ours, but much more than that, I think I would say it's the will of God. Let's look at it like that. Perhaps God has a purpose for this nation. Perhaps God has a purpose for these islands. Perhaps God has a purpose for Europe. Oh, for a people that will possess it. Walk in and say, we are nothing. We are unable. We're quite weak. We know our unworthiness, but it's the soles of our feet, Lord. It's thy, the angel of thy presence that's going to win this battle, but the soles of our feet are the evidence. We're here to put them down and say this is the Lord's will. Thy will be done as it is in heaven, so on earth. Walk. Are you walking? And then I want you very quickly to look in Isaiah and chapter 60. Arise, shine. Isn't that lovely? Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And nations shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Isn't it lovely the way the Lord puts it? Arise, shine, and then the Lord will arise upon thee. 
If you don't arise, he won't arise. If you just stay there, the Lord will stay back. But if in faith you will rise, the glory of the Lord will come upon you. Oh, for a people who know that their only glory is the Lord. No other glory, no other resources, no other beauty, only the Lord. None other name. Arise, shine. The Lord said in one place, um, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We Christians have sometimes been more bothered about doctrine than works. As if because we know we cannot be saved by good works, Good works in themselves are quite valueless. This is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. The Lord said, by their fruit ye shall know them. By their fruit ye shall know them. Not their leaves. Their fruit. All oh, that we were filled with good works. Works are fore-prepared that we should walk in them. Works of God. Is it possible that God can be in me and I never shed a single tear for an unsaved person? Is it possible that God's heart of compassion can be in me and I feel no compassion whatsoever for anyone? Is it possible that God, who knows every street of this town and knows every family, can be in me and no burden or cry from the depths of my spirit rise to him how far we are from the Lord. All through history, God has had an argument with his people. It is, of course, symbolized supremely in the little book of Jonah. Jonah was in the straitjacket of his own theological conceptions. He had certain ideas. And God said to him, go to Nineveh. And Jonah, it was the biggest shock Jonah had ever had. Nineveh, that wicked, evil city. But God knew all about Nineveh. He knew the king. He knew the humblest home. He knew all the children who couldn't tell their left hand from their right hand. He even knew the number of cattle, for not a sparrow falls to the ground without our father. He knew it all. And he longed longed for them. He didn't want to judge them. And he wanted to take a prophet, a servant of his, and send them to Nineveh to somehow show something of the kind of person God was. My, how different Jonah was. The Lord went to a lot of trouble to get Jonah there. Had to prepare a special marine creature. It was one of the strangest prayer meetings ever ever engaged in in the stomach of that fish and that's the truth there he prayed and it was one of the most extraordinary things that there in such extraordinary surroundings he remembered the prayer of Solomon if you turn towards my house I've often thought to myself in a fish I mean how did he know which way was what however he must have said Lord you know if I'm facing in the right direction but he claimed it it's in the prayer 
He says that you said that if I turn towards your dwelling place and ask for forgiveness, you will forgive me. And the Lord did it immediately. Jonah was spewed up on the beach. The fish beached itself. Jonah was coughed up. And Jonah went off to Nineveh. Now, I'm not just trying to be funny. The fact is, it's true. There's great humor in all these stories. How lovely God is. Could have so finished with Jonah and said, if that's the kind of person you are, finished with you. But no. Went to all this extraordinary trouble to get Jonah there. And when he got him there, Jonah suddenly started to take delight in his message. Since it was all judgment. And when the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, I've repented myself of this thing. Look at them all. From the king down to the lowliest servant, they're all repenting, praying, fasting. I've never seen such a thing in Israel. I must not do this thing. I'll forgive them. And Jonah said, Lord, that's exactly what I thought you would do when you first told me to come here. And he stomped out, and you know the story. Sat out on a hill over thing in a great deep depression, saying, I wish I could die. But the fact of the matter is that Jonah learned his lesson, for who else could have told us the story? And who else could have ended the book of Jonah where Jonah ended it? Only Jonah could have. If I had written that story, I, I would have probably ended up, and Jonah was a changed man, and went his way, different because I wouldn't want all those preachers after, ever after, sort of saying, oh, what a man Jonah was. How mean, how crabby. How narrow. It took a big man to leave the book of Jonah where he left it, because he'd learned his lesson. Arise, shine. Oh, that men and women could see the glory of the Lord in us. They could see the beauty of the Lord in us. Isn't that so? Isn't it a longing on your heart? And here the Lord just says, Arise, shine. We would see Jesus. Oh, that they could see light. The lampstand, what was the lampstand? A beautiful thing? It was a beautiful thing. Precious material? Yes, it was precious material. Pure gold. Marvellous craftsmanship? Yes, marvellous craftsmanship. But it was all to no avail if it didn't give light. It was to give light. Light. Well, I can only leave you with the last thing. It's in, two, it's in 1 Chronicles 22. I'm afraid you'll just have to be left with this. And I think we've talked about it before. Verse 19. Arise therefore and build the sanctuary of the Lord. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. Arise, stand. Arise, walk. Arise, shine. Arise, build. That's what God wants, a building. The, so much of the New Testament is to do with building. It is extraordinary that we overlook this matter. And not just personal building, but the building of God's house, the building of God's habitation, of God's home. Every one of us has got a part to play. Every one of us has some contribution to make. It's not a question that we should all come slavishly together in some kind of awful sameness or uniform. Not at all. 
But this building, of which so much of the New Testament speaks, is a building that only God can enable us to be in. Built up together into a house, growing into a temple for the Lord. Vessels to be bought in it. Oh, God speaks to us about bearing these holy vessels on our shoulders. It's all to do with building. It doesn't matter what it is or what you have. It's all to do with building. This is a forgotten thing so often amongst Christians. That the great yearning of God is for an eternal home. Of which you and I are living stones apart. It comes in different ways. Sometimes it's the bride. Sometimes it's the city. Sometimes it's the temple. Sometimes it's a family. All different ways it's put. But it's the same thing. Arise, build. If I am not mistaken, I think somehow or other we are near the end. Uh, when I say near the end, I don't mean... Uh, that uh, it's tomorrow necessarily, or that we can fit any, fix any dates, but we know from Scripture that we are surely in the last phase of the age, however long that phase may be. And we know that the top stone's got to go on with shouts of grace, grace unto it. How can the top stone go on if there's been no building? How can it be fitted in if there's been no building? And if there are not those willing to be the material for that building and willing to be co-workers together with God in the building. May you learn how to stand on the finished work of the Lord Jesus and to rise. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.